Welcome to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative, your go-to source for straight-up business advice. Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford. And on today's episode, I chat to a friend and colleague in the female business space, Cherie, who founded One Roof, which was a co-working space when we first met, but has since pivoted to an online platform, which is a membership and supports women in business, female founders, an amazing support network for those of you who might be looking for a membership or online um, space to connect with other women in business. Cherie has an amazing story of setting out to achieve a certain dream which took many twists and turns and ups and downs and setbacks and challenges along the way and I'm so grateful for Cherie sharing so honestly and in such raw detail around how her business has evolved over the years, some of the hard decisions she's had to make from giving back some of the rate the money that she raised to grow and scale her business and completely pivoting when COVID hit and her whole business model had to change like many of us out there. But this story is amazing. I'm so excited to share it with you. I'm so grateful for Cherie on my startup journey and for all the help that she gives so many of us out there. Um, but yeah, real honest accounts of what it takes to make a dream a reality and how hard it can be sometimes and the decisions that you have to make in order to make things work, even if it's not how you set out to achieve it in the first place. So enjoy this episode, lots of amazing wisdom and lessons and just some great stories in there. As always, let me know what you think and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Cherie. Thanks, Kay. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, it's uh, we've been we've been swirling in the same circles for a while. I think a, a few years ago when I moved to Melbourne, um, I came in and checked out your space. I've been to some events there. We've worked together on online collaboration events. And follow your your business very closely and love what you're doing and really keen to dive into your startup story with One Roof today and get your insights as someone who is leading the way not only in the business space but also in like designing a startup that suits a personal life and dream as well. Yeah, great. And I have to say I remember when I first heard about you, I think you were living on the Gold Coast and you'd started the startup creative and you had the magazine and I was like who is this amazing woman and this amazing magazine and I need to know more about her (laughs) oh that's so lovely no likewise it's um it's nice to have I think I shared a post recently about how nice it is to have fellow women in business um always supporting each other and being like how can we help and yeah building businesses together so love being on the journey it's awesome all right, let's dive in. So you, we've just discovered that you're in the beautiful Byron Bay, but you used to be in Melbourne or mm. up in the Byron region. But tell us a little bit about you and um, your your business, One Roof, and where the idea came to from. Sure. So um, I was a corporate lawyer 
Um, I spent a couple of years working at a top tier law firm and um, it really wasn't for me. I was a total fish out of water. Um, But during that time, I had discovered this very strong, profound passion for wanting to close the gender gap in the business world, realising the challenges that women face and and the barriers and um, the conditioning that, um, you know, that has been placed on us. And so I just became quite fixated on wanting to make a difference. And so that was really the catalyst that gave me the kind of confidence and courage to step out of a very stable, well-paid corporate career and dive into entrepreneurship um, and and start this idea that was to create a hub for women. Um, And really it started off as networking events and then led into, um, I, I, I built this pop-up kind of um, co-working space in an Airbnb home. So I wanted to create an environment for women and and have programming and events and um, make it this great like physical space and, you know, yeah, just environment for them to work and share and connect. And so um, it it wasn't meant to be a co-working space but eventually became this co-working operation but initially tested it as as a pop-up in an Airbnb home and just kind of had this really scrappy, you know, website on Squarespace and came up with the name One Roof and sold tickets and, um, yeah, turned this woman's house in on Grey Street in St Kilda in Melbourne into a co-working space and had 500 people come through the doors of her home in one week and that was beginnings of then um, building a co-working business and becoming the leading co-working operator in Australia for women-led businesses Um, and then had really big plans and and we can talk more about the details of all of this but plans to grow a co-working empire I'd raised capital and um, yeah really wanted to go big and then COVID hit and really shifted everything my whole life changed um, and, yeah, shifted the direction of the business into a digital membership for female leaders and entrepreneurs, which is where I am now. That is an incredible story, and there's so much to unpack there, and, you know, it's amazing to see where it all began. But tell us a little bit about those early stages because it's I think there's one thing around business so people are like, you know, and then I did this, and then 500 people came through. What do you think was the catalyst for that? Was it that there was, you know, at the time no one was doing it or you know, did you go have like marketing mm. skills or pull people together? Like what were some of the success mm. stories around that? Yeah, it was definitely a novel idea there. You know, now there is a lot going on for women. There's spaces and programs and memberships and events, but back then there really wasn't much. So it was definitely, but but there was conversation going on around how do we better support women. So it was very timely. Um, and then I am, I'm a, I'm a real people person. I love meeting new people. I love putting myself in very uncomfortable environments and learning and, um, going to networking things and events and hackathons and things on my own. Um, and just putting myself in a very uncomfortable situation and learning from that. So, I guess through doing that, I I built a great network. Um, And so I, yeah, and I think that also kind of came out of me being so unsure about my life and what I wanted to do. And so I just kept trying to find people, new people to help me work out and navigate my own anxieties and uncertainties about my life and career and what I wanted to do. And so through meeting lots of people, 
I just kind of went out to my network and said, hey, I'm starting this business. It's called One Roof. Um, I had a business partner at the time and she worked at an advertising agency called Isobar. She was much more skilled than I was in, you know, being able to use Squarespace and build a basic website and, and her partner designed the logo for us. And so she did more of that kind of side of things that was very new to me, even putting a pitch deck together. I had no idea what that even meant or how to do it. Um, but yeah, I had a network. And so I just posted on Instagram or I think at the time I sent an email to about a BCC email to like 150 people and just said, Hey, I'm, I've taken over a house for a week. This is what I'm doing. It's like 20 bucks for the day. Come and join us or come to an event. Um, and then we collaborated with different, um, again, organizations who I'd been connected to. So like Y Gap, which was which is an amazing not for profit organization who I had been volunteering with, and so I reached out to them and said, "Hey, can you share this? Um, you know, can you come and run an event? One Giant Mind, like Johnny Pollard came and ran an event for us, and so by doing those collaborations, we could tap into their community and their network. Um, so that's really how it started. I guess the other thing I would say is that in those early days, and even still now, it's been nearly seven years, I still feel like I'm at the beginning, but I've always done things very lean, economical, borderline, quite scrappy. So it's never been about investing tons of money that I don't have and putting my life savings, if whatever that is, into building a business. It's been how do I do this in the cheapest, most economical, easiest way. And so even when I had a fully-fledged co-working business, it was, and we were in this beautiful space in, in South Bank, a huge space with 150 members and, you know, 200-person event space. Uh, that was because I had met a property developer who gave me a really good deal because they were going to demolish the building. And so they said, look, we'll give you a very good deal. It's below market rent, um, you know, cover the outgoings and pay for the electricity bills and whatever. But yeah, we'll, we'll kick you out when we get our permits to re to, to, to develop the site. And so it left me in a very uneasy, uncertain situation, but at the same time, it gave me the chance to create a space basically in Melbourne CBD without having to pay top rent for it. Um, and so, yeah, I had friends come and help paint the tables and the walls and my dad's very you know he's a handyman and electrician so together we built the event stage and the event bar and um yeah did everything was very DIY and so when you walk through the space you could feel that things were a bit scrappy or maybe very scrappy but um it still worked and it allowed me to test and build a business off it. Um, so I always recommend to people like find the most economical way of testing and validating and building an idea. Mm, I love that. And I love that even after a few years of being in business, like you're still keeping it lean because, you know, so many people, I think that it stops them from starting businesses because they think they need to buy the space up front. And I love that idea about testing an Airbnb space first mm. um because it just it it removes the risk and I think you would know this as well and I'm sure we'll get into it but sometimes when the risk is too high or you are putting all your savings in not everyone can operate in that space not everyone can actually be creative and innovative and and sleep at night and um and network and and chase the dream because the risk is too high so I think it's really good to have that like middle ground of finding what risk is okay for you 
and um, and keeping it lean. And I think I actually was studying this the other day because I really want to do a whole podcast on it around, um, you know, an uncertainty and sitting in the unknown and that that healthy level of risk is actually the only place where growth and innovation can happen. And I think that's the number one skill for an entrepreneur, right, is being okay with it being a little bit like, is this going to work? Absolutely. And I remember one of my mentors, the first thing, I had a couple of mentors when I first started One Roof and they said to me, you know, they were like, just get really comfortable with being uncomfortable all the time. Like just sit in that discomfort and observe it and learn from it and watch and, um, you know, don't react. And and you just that, you know, kind of unlearn everything that you've learned in your corporate legal, rigid, perfectionist world and just put yourself out there, test ideas, fail um, and observe. And, and But I think exactly as you said, you've still got to balance that with and it, with the kind of risk that you're willing to, that you can handle. Because if you go beyond the boundary of what you can handle, it's exactly what you said. You enter a space of a very negative um, mindset and it's very hard to build a business off that. Um, and and I would say, I think, you know, having been someone who's raised capital and, and then had the money, I think there's so much value in actually not having the money and having to find smart ways of doing things. You get really good at finding smart ways of asking for what you need Mm. yeah and I think that that should always be like a skill set I think um but in in startups and entrepreneurships because we don't need to go top dollar and you can't always afford it and things like that but I I actually found a screenshot that I shared that I shared in 2014 when I was on the Gulf Coast um, I screenshotted a um, Facebook memory that popped up the other day and it was this like really dorky stock image of a light bulb, I think. And I had shared it to my personal page and I had sent um, direct messages on on Facebook because I don't even think there was Instagram or if there was, there definitely wasn't direct messages yeah. when we first started out and was saying to everyone, this is my business. If, if you or anyone you know wants to start a business, like work for yourself, come l- let me know, get in touch. And I was like cringe when I read it. But at the same time, I was just like, that's what it takes. Like that's 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 what it took. It was like shamelessly backing yourself to everyone and anyone you know. Absolutely. And, and just laugh at yourself when you but um, really you just have to put yourself out there and ask for it. Um, and that is, yeah, Kay, you're amazing at that. Like I've watched you do that for years, putting yourself out there, asking for what you need, um, you know, supporting others, um, sharing your learnings. Uh, and I think that is really uh, what resonates and that that's how you build a brand and, and a business. Mm, thank you. I think I think you're right, and it's like in when you really deeply believe in what you're doing, and you genuinely want to help people, or you you've got something that you really think people will value, then you actually can get to that place where you it doesn't feel salesy because you're just like, hey, I've got this thing, like you want to do it, right? And I think that's where doing that deep work at the beginning of your business and being like, is there a need for this? Because if there's a genuine need and you can find the people who need it, then it's not a sale, it's a value add. 
Absolutely. And, and I'll add my, my experience with that is I, I've never seen myself as a salesperson. I never thought I enjoyed sales. And over the years of building One Roof, I have become so, I feel like it's actually my greatest skill now and I love it. And I just lean into it because it's, I, I'm, I'm selling or I'm, yeah, value adding something that I believe so strongly in and I love and yet become something that I, I, I enjoy. I genuinely enjoy it. And it's Mm. such a great skill. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, I think once we get into your story, it's very obvious that you enjoy and love what you do because you, you've been through many ups and downs, but I'm, I'm keen to, to go back a few sets before we jump into that and, and share that transition. I mean, obviously you went from lawyer to Airbnb host, <laughs> co-worker, um, and then into a physical space. But what was, do you remember some of those feelings? I think that's something that, you know, people like to hear or need to hear of being like, was it scary? Like, did it, how did it feel? When did you know to to go from, you know, a pop-up to taking on a lease and for, and trying to find 150 members? Like, what was some of those transition periods like for you? I was shit scared to leave, <laughs> you know, the the my legal career um, and to build a business. And to be honest, I didn't know that I was starting a business. I didn't know that Gianna, who became my business partner, was going to be my business partner. It was actually just, it's like one foot in front of the other. And you don't, I didn't know where I was going with any of it. I didn't have in my mind, I'm going to be a business owner and build a co-working business. And this is what I'm going to do for the next you know, 10 years of my life, none of that was clear to me. It was just that I'd found something I was really passionate about. And so as scared as I was to quit my job, that passion was guiding me. Um, And so I couldn't, I I just kept following that. And it kind of started with um, working with a not-for-profit called Fitted for Work. So I I left my corporate job, but still had part-time work to, to keep me going. And then Um, And then I just found myself putting myself out there and meeting lots of people and going to networking events and every single networking event or opportunity that I went to, again, I was shit scared. I felt really, I had a lot of self-doubt because I didn't, I didn't know who I was. Like I wasn't comfortable saying I'm a lawyer. I wasn't comfortable saying I'm a business owner. I, I kind of didn't know what identity I, yeah, I, I wasn't clear on my identity. And so I found networking events very difficult, but I just kept turning up because I was just so determined to find a direction for myself. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would just say I just continued to have so much fear and uncertainty and and self-doubt over the years but I've just kind of kept pushing through all of that um yeah and and just didn't know that it was going to turn into a business and uh, yeah it it kind of went from the pop-up to um my my then business partner who's American actually had to move back to LA so we said okay you know I'll build up the business in Australia and you build it up in LA and we had so much fun. I was going over to the US for a few months at a time and we were trying to build this idea, which 
this business, which we didn't have a clear business model or strategy. It was just, again, testing and finding unique spaces that we could activate and turn into hubs for women. And so we had, at one point, we were in Melbourne, Sydney, LA and New York, which sounds amazing. Um, But the reality of it was I was flying between Sydney and Melbourne every week, sleeping at the co-working space we had in Sydney, um, managing a space in Melbourne, in a home in Malvern. Then my then my business partner, Gianna, was, you know, going like managing what was happening in the US and we had to keep moving spaces because we we couldn't um couldn't afford the rent. Um, and so it was actually just much harder than like the story sounded great, but what was going on was a lot harder. Um, and then eventually we realized we really have to pair this back. The partnership's not working because Gianna wants to go in a different direction and we're too far away from each other. Um, and yeah, and I'd found a this space in Melbourne. So I got rid of the Sydney space. I focused on the Melbourne opportunity, got rid of what was going on in the US, split with my with Gianna, which was one of the hardest things that I did, and then um kind of continued focusing on building it up from there. But um, yeah, there's been lots of fear and self-doubt along that, along that journey. And still is yeah. today. Yeah, I think something that's really evident in your story, and I, I hear it a lot, it's like you you do put that one foot in front of the other and then you're following the energy, right? And I think, you know, which is I'd be keen to hear from you, it's like, you know, obviously the, the stresses of, of managing that many spaces and maybe scaling so quickly that you you didn't feel like you had the structures and things in place, but following that intuition almost as well of when you know where to go next and what to do and following the need yeah yeah I mean yes it is just following the energy and the passion without really knowing like when I took over the space in Sydney I didn't really know what I was saying yes to I just did it. And then I didn't realize that that was going to mean I would need to fly to Sydney every week. And, you know, I wasn't going to pay for a hotel. So then I was literally sleeping on a bunk bed in the co-working space, having to wake up early enough to make sure none of the developers who came in at 6am saw me in my pajamas, like so unglamorous. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it just, you know, you say yes to things sometimes without really knowing why or thinking about it or knowing the consequences. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. I would say the Sydney space was a bit was a failure. Like a lot of that just didn't work. And in hindsight, I can now see why. Um, whereas taking on the space in Melbourne, again, I didn't think too much about it. It was really just I had been connected to these property developers and they you know, I pitched the business, the idea to them and they were like, great, here's the space, like good luck. And so how could I say no to that? It was just a great opportunity and that has that really propelled the business in ways I could never have imagined. But I didn't sit down and go, you know, what are the pros and cons of this this taking on this um, idea? What should I do? It was really just a couple of people in my, you know, my partner and my dad who came with me who were like, this is an amazing opportunity, go for it. And I was like, okay, let's do this. I like, I love that story of like, because I think if you're going to be intuitive about taking that space on and not really sit down and plan it out for a year and go hunting for the space or whatever, and you're also intuitive about the sit, like, or you, you're taking the risk, right? And it's like, sometimes the risk is going to really work and sometimes it's not. And I think what I like about your story is it's like you're prepared to go, okay, 
took the risk there wasn't the best risk let's let it go you know and and how did how was that because I know I don't know for me whether I'm a perfectionist or you you know you build a brand and a lot of people are looking at you and and saying oh look how great they're doing and you know (laughs) even you saying that to me at the beginning I was like really like am I doing great (laughs) um you know that self-doubt in the background of you know when you are juggling every ball and you know every detail and you have your good days and your bad days you know that the saving face of what you're meant to be creating or where you're meant to be taking this mm, yeah I'll share an, an interesting story so that that um shows the kind of failure of setting up of this Sydney space so I'd taken on an existing space um I didn't set it up I partnered with someone and basically took it over but the problem was that the lease was ending and so I needed to find another space for all the tenants that were in there and it was a space focused on women so it was perfect for who I what I was doing but I had no experience in commercial property I had no minimal network in Sydney let alone like you know flying in every week and going talking to agents and going hunting for space like it was ridiculous to think that I was ever going to make it work and eventually I had to tell all the tenants that um, I couldn't find anything and I've got to help them find new office space and basically this part of the business is kind of going to die and we're going to work something out and one of the tenants was at the time was Naomi Simpson and um she from something yes yeah and she was really pissed off and she sent me such a harsh email i don't i've i've seen her since and i was incredibly nervous when i saw her because it was a really really harsh email that kind of said you know you've failed your mission you failed women you failed me and my team you promised us that you were going to find a space and you haven't um mm-hmm. and it's it's damaging to your reputation and to and to your business. And it was, I can't tell you how long I cried for. Like it was the most horrible email I've ever received. I you know, she probably didn't think that much about it. She was just really pissed off at the time. Um, and it took me a while to get over that. And and I I have, and you know, I acknowledge the failure of it, but um, it was a it was tough, like to to feel like I'd let people down and to feel, you know, to question whether her words were right, that I've tarnished my reputation and the business reputation was a really challenging thing to work through. And at the time I thought it was the end of the world. Um, in hindsight, there's been much harder things I've had to deal with since that email. And I have talked to her since. I don't know if she remembers who I am, but we had a great chat. Um, and yeah, it was, it's hard. Like the, the failures are really hard. Um, I think, you know, you, you just, I think like when I said before as well, that I kind of didn't sit down down and do pros and cons of whether I should say yes to these ideas. I think you do need to assess the risk that you're taking on and particularly the financial risk and just and work out what is the worst case scenario. I think that's very important. Um, but yeah, beyond that, like I'm pretty good at diving in without thinking too much about things and then just having to deal with the consequences after they happen. Yeah. And it's, it is a constant battle because, and I've, I've been through a similar situation of getting that feedback when someone was looking to buy my magazine of number of years ago, but you know, that kind of harshness of like, you know, you're, you're not the right person for the job. And when you build something that you love, it's, it's a personal, it feels a personal attack. Right. Um, but I think the, um, that fine line and it, I took a big hit. I think I, I was pretty much like, 
moping about for three months afterwards and just finding it so hard to get back on my feet. And um, it, and then I kind of lost a little, I lost a little bit of that risk taking or that ambition or that you know fearlessness in me because. I had to build my my self-worth up and that inner critic in when it comes in really hard and probably why my business has turned more to what has built in a lot of mindset stuff now because mm-hmm. um yeah you really you've got to have that that thick skin on a lot of levels so that you don't lose some of the spark I think of of taking risk and you know you've got to find that balance between being the entrepreneur who's the you know dreamer and a big thinker and whether it's you know building yourself or outsourcing it to a team member who can keep keep you in check, which is what I probably have had to do over the years. Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely, when I'm in my dark periods, the best thing I can do is share it with people. And you know, it doesn't have to be publicly in public forums, but I, I think there's value in that. But also, just with people close to me and people who get it, and you know, other hardworking women who I can ask for feedback and share what's going on in my head because it's often much worse in your head than it is in reality and if I don't talk it out I just sit in it and um, it's it's not a, a productive uh, valuable headspace to be in um, which is okay sometimes we do need to sit in it but I know I now know the quicker I talk about it the better it is for me. Yeah, that's great advice. It's like as soon as I'm I'm the same. I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I can do this. I'm just gonna meditate. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna work harder. And then the moment that I like most of the time my body will shut down then and then I'll get sick and then I'll I'll be like, Oh, okay, there's something that I need to get off my chest, or I need to be vulnerable, or I need to, you know, admit that I dropped the ball or that I'm struggling or that I'm uninspired or whatever. And then as soon as you get it out, you're like okay, now I can actually find a way through that's not so like hustle. Absolutely. It's actually a real weight off your shoulders when you share it. Mm. Yeah, which I think is, you know, beautiful about what you've created as women in business because, I mean, it's a whole topic in itself that maybe we do part two of is that at the end of the day we are women in cycles too. You know, we're on, we have hormones and emotions and babies and partners and, you know, we I know for me, I can talk about is um, being, I do have times of the month where I am more sensitive and emotional and then when I'm more savage and don't give a fuck. <laughs> so it's um, it's nice to not feel like you have to be really consistent and on all the time. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay, cool. So let's go into um, the next part of the story. So you let go of um, the States, you're in Melbourne um, building that big thriving space there. Is this where your investment comes in? Yeah, that's right. So I realised, I always knew that I um, there was a, an end date to this space um, and I didn't know when it was going to be, but I knew there was a looming date. They'd, they'd, the landlords had told me I'd probably have about 18 months. In the end, I ended up with four years, which was amazing, but also really tough when they turned around and said, you've got three months and you've got to be out of this space. And I had 150 members and um, events booked in for a year in advance and I basically had to tell everyone you've got to go 
find others, you know, somewhere else and I'll support you. So that was um, really tough. But anyway, so I knew that in order to grow this business, I needed to raise capital because I wasn't going to find, well, I, I wanted to, but I knew it was going to be hard to find another opportunity like what I'd found in South Bank. And so my next best option in order to grow the business was to raise capital, set up a permanent site, and then continue to raise more capital and keep setting up more spaces. And I'd been watching a business in the US called The Wing, which had had great success. And, um, you know, they were a club for women. Um, and they had like 13 spaces and WeWork had invested in them and they'd raised a lot of money. And a very um, American story is very different in Australia. But I kind of thought, okay, well, you know, this could be, that That was um the an example of the kind of model that I was working towards and so I kept telling people this is this is it's working and here's a great example of it so I am recreating that as the Australian version um and so yeah and I made the decision that I needed to raise capital and I had this clear vision and idea that I was going to raise the money find a new um, space and move all my members into the new space. And then by the time the the landlords told us that we needed to um, vacate where we were, I would already have a new space set up. And I always laugh because everything I've ever planned in my life doesn't really ever go the way I anticipated to. And it definitely, (laughs) that plan just turned to shit. Um, And so, yeah, basically I'd raised the capital um, and that was a very interesting journey. It took me about eight months and um, ended up raising a million dollars with predominantly female investors who are all um, high net wealth uh, individuals and from family offices. So I didn't go down the traditional kind of VC route because I knew that we weren't a tech company. So VCs wouldn't touch us and we're focused on women in business. And again, most VCs are male. So I knew it was just going to be a really hard sell. Um, and yeah, and so I'd raise the money, but, um, yeah, things, uh, I'll see, Kay, if you've got questions, but I could keep talking, but, yeah, things didn't go. Yeah. Well, how, how was the the raising process? Like was there any insights into that? And I, I've heard from a few people that it, it, it's quite um, grueling and emotional in itself, but what was your experience and, and how did you go about finding the people to raise from? And mm, So, yeah, as I said, didn't want to go down that traditional VC route. So I think the first thing is knowing roughly how much you want to raise and who will be your ideal investors. And so you really need to think about are they VCs, are they angel investors, is is um, grants, grants a better option, um, are they family offices, are they impact investors or um, should you become a not-for-profit and then just go fundraise. So you really, I think at the very beginning, people just need to understand the different ways of raising capital and who would be the right person to get money from and why. Um, Once you've worked that out, so I knew very quickly who was the right person. And for me, it was um, women who, um, you know, have made money uh, kind of very established in their careers. They're looking to invest and give back. So it's not just about, you know, they're not just looking to 10x their money. They're also wanting to invest in something they care about, they believe in, they want to see impact. They're actually really passionate about supporting women. Um, They've got their own experiences and their own career journeys. And so they were the people that I was um, focused on. 
there was one woman in particular who runs an investment fund with her husband. Her name is Susie Karp, um, and she is also very, she's a philanthropist and um, very much kind of in the community, in the philanthropy community, doing a lot of great work. She's not kind of publicly well-known, but I I knew a lot about her and I really wanted to connect with her for years. And so that was my first kind of point of call. I'd thought of her, I knew someone who knew her, and so I asked for a warm introduction. That would be my second massive tip. Like, you can cold reach out to people, that's fine, but do an incredible amount of research before you do that. Don't do kind of your, you know, your mass BCCs to potential investors because they just won't give a shit. You need to know a lot about them, know why you're reaching out to them um, and get a warm referral if you can. And so I got this warm introduction, which was amazing. And so she said, yep, sure, I'd love to meet with Cherie. Um, I also engaged a business coach, um, someone in the US who had done a lot of fundraising. Somebody um, suggested him to me. And so I I worked with him and paid him during that um, capital raising process because I literally had no idea what I was doing. And honestly, the whole idea of raising money was the scariest thing to me and felt like the hardest thing and the thing that I'm like least good at. Like talking about money is a massive fear of mine. Um, and so especially talking about a million dollars, it's so much money. And so to sit at a table with people and be like, yep, I need a million dollars and here's what my business is valued at just seemed beyond my capabilities. So that was amazing to have that support and someone who I could say, okay, I've got a meeting tomorrow. What documents should I bring? What do I need to prepare? What questions do you think they're going to ask? We could role play the conversations. Um, so that was really helpful. And then, yeah, it took a really, it took seven, eight months from the first conversation to getting money in the bank. I was really lucky because this woman, Susie, we got along really well. We knew some people in common. She really liked me. She really liked what I was doing. And so she said to me, I'm going to put on a lunch. I'm going to invite women and people in my community who um, are looking for investment opportunities. You can present Um, It's pretty laid back and casual and, you know, you don't need like a pitch deck and slides, just come and talk, which is what I prefer. Um, And let's see what happens. And I pretty much got most of my investors from that lunch, which was amazing. And obviously there was still a lot of one-on-one conversations and coffees and catch-ups and, you know, analyzing financials. I had someone put together financial projections for me. Um, And then it was a game of what is your business valued at? And it's a very hard thing to answer. um, But really, I I had someone who is well-versed in the VC world say to me, Sheree, you don't really want to give up more than 25% of your company. You're looking to raise a million dollars. That's kind of, you know, if you, 20% is kind of the the benchmark, if you give away less, you've negotiated really well. If you give away a bit more, that's okay. But that's kind of your barometer. And so that's that that was the game. That's what I worked off. Um, and some people, you know, some of the investors completely disagreed. Others were like, yep, that makes sense. And then you kind of use that to say, well, I've got a couple of investors on board at this valuation. Are you in or are you out? And you go from there. So it's it's a real game of negotiation and just building hype about what you're going to do and the brand that you've created and the hype that you've created and then and then seeing who bites and who will um, take you up on on that valuation. 
Wow, that sounds like a very intense process, but very well explained. Thank you. I think that'll be super helpful. Um, amazing. But and so then let's jump in. What was the vision? What were you selling? And what were were you dreaming to do with with the million dollars? Yeah. So um, the million dollars was going to be spent on fitting out a new space, um, which I just before COVID hit had found this amazing space in in Cremorne. So a huge uh, venue and we were going to set up an event space, a business lounge, breastfeeding room, um, offices, um, like a little retail pop-up space so people could sell their products. Um, uh, Yeah, like just beautiful conferencing facilities and meeting rooms, even like a meditation wellness area. Um, so that was the vision and that was what I was selling. And so it was, okay, we're going to put the million dollars into fitting out our first space. That's our our flagship Melbourne location. From there, we're going to probably need to raise more money to set up sites across Australia. Um, and, and, you know, part of the vision and what I was selling was it's not just co-working it is building a community. It's it's bringing women together. It's connecting them to investors and advisors. It's helping them raise money. It's it's really supporting them in their success. And so One Roof was never just about selling office space. It was about all the programming that went on in the space, all the yeah access to experts and and um, collaborations, and really just business support and just bringing people together and and supporting them um, to grow their businesses. And then I had even grander visions of setting up an investment fund and we would take equity in the businesses in our space and be able to invest in them. And so there's this beautiful kind of circular economy thing going on where we're giving them office space, we're giving them access to experts and then we're investing in them. And then as they succeed, they can then give back and invest in other women-led businesses. Yeah, amazing. And what happened? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nothing went according to and so I raised the money um and then I was told by the landlords that I um have three months until I'm going to be kicked out of the space that we were in that was very testing to investors because that was not part of the plan we thought we were going to have a while and that they're you know they started freaking out about well what's going to happen to your community everyone's going to disperse the whole like premise of what we've invested in and is that is that still like the case? You're going to lose your revenue. You're going to lose your members. So I had a lot of pressure. Was this um, the South? Was this the Melbourne one or the Cremorne one? Yeah, it was the Melbourne. There was the South oh, Bank one. South, um, yeah. yeah. So the existing site. So while I was dealing with telling all of our members and dealing with investors, I was also trying to find new office space. And I was put in this really tough position where I actually, a million dollars sounds like a lot of money, but for a co-working operation, I actually hadn't raised enough money. And in the time from when I'd raised to while I was trying to sign a lease, rents were just through the roof. And so I had basically projected half what of what the actual rents were that I was looking at and I had this vision and I refused to compromise on it. So I really wanted a space that was beautiful, that was in the right location, that had good foot traffic near train line. Like I was looking at premium rents and so I was freaking out about whether this business model was actually going to work. And so I had found a site um, that I was basically a million dollars a year rent bill plus like security deposits and um, all these other 
fees that I hadn't and costs that I hadn't really factored in. So I was taking a massive, massive risk and I told the investors about it and they were happy that I'd found a space, but some of them were like, Sheree, are you actually, like, is this business going to work? So they they were a little bit worried. I was too in it and, and I was also pregnant at the time and I was just like, I need to get a space up and running, ready to go before I have a baby. And so I was just too focused to consider all the possible like risk. I, I did consider the worst case scenario, I will say, and I didn't have a personal guarantee on this lease. So I knew that at the end of the day, you know, the worst thing that was going to happen was the business would go bankrupt and I would walk away and that was it. Like there was nothing on me personally. And I think that is crucial. Um, I didn't take on that level of risk, but it was still would be very damaging if this business didn't go the way that I um, said it was going to go and what I'd projected. Um, And then in the end, COVID hit. Like I, I hadn't signed a lease. I'd signed a um, like a, a, um, a terms of agreement, um, an offer, and but not a lease, and I hadn't paid a, a security deposit, which was three hundred thousand um, dollars, and I'd engaged architects and a builder, and then and then COVID hit, and and I had a baby two weeks later, and so you know, and everything was in lockdown, and so I was just dealing with motherhood um and then kind of six weeks in having and and I'd put the deal in Cremorne on hold and had investors saying to me well what are you going to do like I know we're in the middle of a pandemic but you've raised money you um need to tell like you need to tell us your plan basically are you going to set up this office space or are you going to hold back for a while or like what are you doing with the money and I spent a weekend sitting on it and freaking out about it. And I remember I turned to my partner and I said, I actually just want to give the money back. Like I've lost all confidence in the business model. I don't want to take on this space. Like I've worked so damn hard for this, but I've no longer have confidence in the model and I'm really scared and I wouldn't invest my own money if I had it. So why, like, I don't feel good investing their money. And so I yeah, got on a call with all of them and said, I I feel that the right thing to do is return your money and I'll mm. come back to you when I'm ready to repitch where I'm at and where the business idea and what where yeah, what's happening. And so honestly, it was I, I never thought this would happen, but it was the biggest relief I had ever experienced. Um I just it felt so sad, but also just so right. And that was it. I couldn't ignore that feeling. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I I mean, this doesn't happen often that a startup returns the money to their investors. It's just, it, I actually don't know anyone else who's ever done it. Um, but yeah, that was what happened to me. And so, wow. and yeah. And at that time, I had an advisor say to me, Shree, everyone is online, just do everything that you were doing in your co-working space, just turn it online, make it simple, just get the, you know, your engaged community, tell them you've got a digital membership going and see what happens. And I felt exhausted and I was like, I just don't know if I can do that. And then I was like, okay, I have to do that because I just need to do something and I want to keep this business alive and COVID, you know, like who knows what's going to happen. And so, yeah, made it a digital membership and provide lots of support and events and, you know, guest speakers like yourself. And um, we've now got over 450 members across Australia. Um, Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. What an incredible story. I I love it so much because it's it's so unconventional. This is exactly why I started Startup Creative because 
people can look from the outside and go, wow, look at, you know, all these great things. And behind the scenes, it's like, you know, there's there's um, twists and turns and ups and downs and, you know, personal battles. But I think, you know, you giving that money back and, and being, I mean, also like what a, a gift for COVID for you to be able to give you that space and perspective to see what you really wanted to do. And sometimes you're so in it that you don't realise um, that maybe you're chasing a dream that you don't still want. I know I've definitely had those moments. Um, but, yeah, it's such courage be, to continually throughout your whole business model to go, well, what's the right thing to do and, you know, not about the ego or what people think I should do, but what should I be doing here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I also want to add that when I was really at my lowest, um, I, I brought a group of friends and advisors together because I was so stuck in my head and so unsure what to do with the business. And really freaking out and realized that I was having board meetings and talking to investors, but it was always showing face and I was never telling the full story of how I was feeling. And so when I brought together a group of friends and advisors who, including my my partner and, you know, someone I lived with, but people who understood, you know, ran their own businesses, understood the commercial property market, and I just showed them everything. It was like a Tuesday night and we sat in a in a meeting room at my partner's co-working space and I was just like, here are the numbers. Here's what I'm doing. Am I insane? Like, what do I do? Do I just walk away from this business? I'm, I really don't know what to do. And I had two and a half hours of their time and we just talked it out and it was the biggest weight lifted from my shoulders to be like, okay, I'm on the right path, but if this fails, it's okay. Like it was the first time where I felt a a detachment from the success of One Roof. And I could just say, I don't even know why I felt this. I think it was just letting it out. I don't know if they said anything that that was actually the pin drop, but it was just walking out of the meeting going, cool, like I am not One Roof. If it fails, I've done everything I can and it's it's okay. And it was was like the biggest revelation I've had in my journey so far. Mm. That's amazing. I love that because I think it's like you realize you're not alone, you know, and you realize that everyone's, you know, backing you or supporting you on their own journey. And it's kind of like what we were saying earlier around getting out of your own head, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Amazing. Um, I'd be keen to, um, before we we jump off the call, but to get, I think there's been an amazing common theme throughout. And I think, something that I feel really inspired by this conversation and I've been, you know, working on in my own journey at the moment is like as you grow and scale and, you know, you do things well, you might not do like I'm, I've shared it a few times now, I think about terrified about my book coming out, right? Because it's a stepping into a a new level of, of expert where, you know, I'm like, are people going to start like giving me bad reviews? Um, But the whole idea of like saving face and and holding firm to your dream and vision regardless of what it might look like or what people might think um, or say about you. And I'm keen to hear what your tips and tricks are for keeping your mental health and your physical health and obviously now your family and your business um, healthy throughout um, the ups and downs of businesses. 
Yeah, so I guess, um, you know, we're living up north at the moment, so something that's come out of the pandemic for me and my family is kind of leaving Melbourne for a period of time and living on the beach and um, just seeing what this kind of lifestyle is like. I will be back in Melbourne, but um, it's just been a really interesting change of pace of life for me. Like pre-COVID, pre-becoming a mum, I was at events every single day of my life, literally. I would go, I'd probably be at three events a day, let alone also being in the co-working space and being available for all our members and their issues and their business stuff. And like I was just on all the time. Um, And so it's been a really nice shift of pace to, I've been to like one kind of small event that we ran for One Roof in Melbourne one in a year like it's just so different for me so I guess changing my pace of life and um you know spending more time like swimming in the ocean and walking along the beach and and you know this environment here really lends itself to feeling like a meditation practice is just so easy and um you know not feeling like I need to dress up and go to meetings and commute and um be on all the time like so that's um just yeah that's been really great for me um I I just love reading it's a massive switch off so I read every single night um you know exercise and eating well and we we cook most nights here so yeah it's it's just been a great lifestyle shift for me um I guess yeah also just in terms of the business and um how to kind like yeah the support that I get in the business I I know that I'm an extrovert and and I know that in order to really understand my ideas and my thinking and get clarity, I just have to talk it out with people. And we've kind of discussed that quite a bit throughout this episode. So I, um, yeah, I have advisors and I have mentors, a lot of unofficial mentors, and they're just relationships that I've built over the years. And I can call people and just be like, what do I do? Or, um, yeah, I have an advisor, Kath Wyatt, who runs a business called Why Impact. And she was actually up here last week and we got together and we literally just went through the numbers of One Roof, how much time we're spending on things, what can we cut out, how can we streamline, what are the projections, like just getting clarity. and I need external people to help me do that. So, um, yeah, they're, they're probably some of my biggest tips and ways that I really um, manage my self-care and then also just manage the, the direction and the strategy of the business. Um, yeah. Mm, amazing. Congratulations. And before we um, – I actually do have one more question. What, what are you going to do about the investors? <laughs> Yeah, so I guess I've I've got them as warm um, investors now. Uh, they're really just sitting back, going like, reach out to us when you're when you're ready and if you need funding. Um, I will be much slower this time to ask for funding. I, I really it. It, it just takes up so much of your time, like to raise the money, then to manage the stakeholder relationships, to put together a board, to prepare for board meetings. Um, and I just feel that now that I, I'm not running a co-working business, I don't have the same um, overheads. And so I actually can continue to be really lean without looking for that kind of capital. I am looking at starting another business this year. It's it's going to be an online business with a strong focus on um, 
more women in power and and really focusing on corporate um, women or emerging female leaders. Um, but and and I have mentioned it to my investors just to keep them in the loop and tell them what I'm doing and all the work that I'm up to. But I yeah, it'll be a while before I'd reach out to ask for investment because I just want to launch that business, build it up, and and actually do it without the the investment. Like I want their backing and their their verbal support, but I don't, I'm not looking for money. I actually really enjoy keeping it lean and just trying and and making sure that I'm onto something before. I think the best time for me to raise capital if I did it again would be once a business is doing so well that I'm ready for immense growth and then I'd go for it. I love that. That's a that's a great lesson, I think, for everyone listening. It's like, you know, you're however many years in business and if there's nothing else people take away, it's like, you know, get out there and prove your concept and make it thrive. And then when you really are desperate to scale because the demand is so high, then look at who else can you can bring on. But yeah, that's incredible advice. Thank you so much, Cherie. It's um, been an absolute pleasure having you on and thank you for sharing so honestly and openly about your story and for building such an incredible network of um, great women in business and support as well. Thanks, Kay. Enjoy that Byron Bay sunshine. I am actually the sun's out in Melbourne today, but I've got three layers on. So (laughs) I'm missing that sun that you're talking about. (laughs) I will do. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning into the Startup Creative Podcast. If you get a chance, head to iTunes and leave a rating and review. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you get notified every time there's a new podcast up. See you next week.